Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And of course, I, I run a business for entrepreneurs that's very similar to the one that today's guest created. I invited him here because I want to learn how he did it. I want to see what's worked for him. And obviously, there are ways that we could improve always. And I want to find out what I could learn from him. All right. So today's guest is Ben Aston. He is the founder of Digital Project Manager. It's a place where project managers can go in and learn and find out what's going on in their industry. And the way he monetizes it is he's got advertising and I've got advertising, you'll hear my eyes in a moment. He also has uh, courses that he sells one at a time and he's got a membership. So he's got three different revenue sources, which is a strong business model. And he also has a community, which of course creates for a strong business. I invited him here to talk about how he did that on the digital project manager and also how he's taking that model and expanding it to other um, areas like HR. And he's thinking, well, what about things that don't happen in the virtual world? What about ideas and businesses that happen offline? I invited him here to talk about how he makes those work, what he has in store for the future, what I could learn from him and so much more. If you're into content and education, this is going to be a great interview for you. And you're going to want to have your own advertisers. So watch me as I do my ads for two great sponsors. The first will host your website, right? It's called HostGator. Get them at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second just wants you to know that if you like the way that I have conversations, they will give you a guide that I wrote to how to have great conversations. It's available to you based on everything I've learned from doing these interviews, available to you at unbounce.com slash Mixergy. Go to that URL. It's totally free. You don't even need to give an email address if you go to unbounce.com slash Mixergy. Ben, how much revenue are you making? Come on, dollars and cents. <laughs> yeah, right now, I think last year we did, we hit 3 million in revenue. Um and about two million of that was profit. So that was that was a good year last year. Wow! And this year, I think we're headed more towards the forecast is about ten. And this is this is for just the one business, the digital project manager, or for the collection of of sites that comes under a company name called Black and White Zebra. Yeah, that's the that's the collection of sites. So we we're running about ten different websites now. Uh, each of those websites monetizing through community, through training and membership. What's the biggest revenue source? Where, where are people most willing to spend their dollars? Yeah, well, actually it's the B2B side of thing, which is the advertising, which I guess is the, the other component. Um, advertising does provide the lion's share of, of the revenue. Um, but what we're in the, what we're trying to do is pivot that more to be a direct to consumer uh, monetizing through and for the community. And I, I see it as a bit of a virtuous cycle. If you can create content that's worth paying for, um, that's a really strong business model. So that's really at the heart of what we're trying to create is content and community that's worth paying for and worth being a part of. It is more satisfying to get revenue from your customers than revenue from a company that pays you to reach your customers. But I have learned from past interviews that I should keep all of those revenue options available because some random thing will knock out one piece of revenue from you and your business could be gone. So for advertising, it could be you say something wrong or advertising just takes a hit or Google and Facebook offer something completely better. And then that if that's what you're dependent on, you're in trouble. If you don't have that, but you do have membership, you could have some random issue with the credit card processor. You could have some random issue with the way that the, the, the government requires you to store credit cards and it may not knock out all your revenue, but it takes away a big portion. And so there you're in trouble. All right. So I like, I like the 
collection of revenue that you have in your business. Give me a, a sense of like, what's one piece of content that will give us a taste of what you're publishing on Digital Project Manager? Yeah. So when we think about content, we um, actually, our, our, foundation, our foundation and where we started was on definitely on keyword orientated content. So we look at, okay, what are people actually searching for? And then we create content to meet that user need, that user intent. So that might be something like, project management methodologies explained. We look to see where there's high search volume and we try and create a piece of content that meets that search intent really well. Um, So that's an example of a piece of content that's keyword orientated, but then we dovetail that with what we call passion posts, which are which is content really that we want to write about uh, that we think would be helpful to people who keep coming back to the website. Uh, So we're combining keyword orientated posts with things that they might never be searching for, but hopefully when they're on the site are relevant to them and interesting for them. Give me an example. What's a killer piece of content that you're especially proud of and your audience loves? Um, So an example of something we just published is like how to say no to stakeholders. Like not many people are not not many people are searching for how to say no, but actually, that's a really helpful piece of content that builds the community uh, that helps them do their job better. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to help this community that we're part of uh, be better at what they do to be more successful. Okay. All right. I went to SEMrush since you talked about using uh, uh, SEO. I wanted to see what you're doing there. They're saying that a good example of a keyword that's doing well for you is mind mapping software. So people might go to that uh, and end up on your site or project initiation document. All right. I got where you're going with this. You started out because you were doing the work yourself, right? You were working uh, as a digital project manager. Am I right? Or Yeah. Yeah. So where? my before I was an entrepreneur or well, I guess I was my career, whole career has been in the advertising marketing agency world. Um, so yeah, that my background has been in the in the field as a digital project Give manager. Me an example of something that you created back when you were doing this. Uh, so I work with clients it, such as uh, Land Rover. They were one of my early clients. What'd you do so for them? We, we would uh, create websites. Uh, we'd create the online marketing campaigns. Uh, so whether or not that's email or banner ads, uh, and we be working hand in hand with the above the line agency who would uh, create the TV ads. So it was an integrated marketing uh, play. That, and you that led the team of. that created the website and the banners, am I right? Or, or, so, or organized them? Yeah. So as the digital project manager, I'm the one who's creating the estimates. I'm the one that's defining the timeline. I'm creating the statement of work that defines what we'll do and for how much and making sure that we deliver successfully. Okay. And so on the side in 2012, you decided that you were going to build 12 different websites. Why 12 different websites? Because it was 2012. I I thought that was just a goal for the year. (laughs) But was it, was it that you said, I want to learn new things. I've been thinking about doing something like that and just saying, I'm going to create 12 new projects or five new projects in a year and just give myself an opportunity to learn new things by doing them. What was it for you? Was it that you were looking for a business on the side? Well, it was actually more the fact that in 2012, it was the year that I moved from uh, the UK to Vancouver. And I thought, hey, I'm going to move to this new city um, and probably not have many friends. So I need something to keep me occupied while I'm 
while I'm <laughs> while I'm being friendless. And uh, I didn't. I never actually completed twelve websites, uh, but it was more of a, a lofty goal. I think I got about three websites in, and uh, then found some friends. <laughs> What's one of the sites that you created? Uh, w- one of the websites was. Um, one called Take 60, which I think is now offline. But um, the idea was taking 60 seconds to change the world. And we it was basically a fundraising site for an orphanage um, somewhere in Africa. I can't remember where now. Okay. I think it was Uganda. And uh, that was just a simple website. We were trying to – actually – it was to, it was to raise money to to build a school. That's what it was, and uh, it it was a fundraising site to do that. So, I was just looking for small fun projects that we could actually achieve something um, and and make a difference. And one of those sites was the site that we're talking about here today, Digital Project Manager. What was the original vision for it? Yeah, when I started out, um, I had this idea that I'd write an ebook, and I thought this was you know back in. Yeah, the 2010 or so, uh, ebooks and creating ebooks, I think was a was a good idea. So I thought, I know I'm going to write 100 tips for digital project management, and I'll sell this, I'll sell this ebook on Amazon. And then it occurred to me, well, who's actually going to buy this book? Uh, how is anyone going to discover it? And so I thought, well, why don't I drip feed the ebook um, as blog posts to build an audience, and then at the when my hundred posts are done. Uh, when the hundred tips are written, then everyone will want to buy the book, right? Well, I never finished that ebook. It's still a work in progress. But what did happen was that in the process of creating all this content and, and publishing on a fairly regular basis, uh, I begin to acquire an audience and realize actually there's lots of people out there who are really interested in this stuff. And were you doing it because you wanted to hone your craft? Did you want to build a reputation by writing a book? Why'd you do it? I think I realized that I'd reached a point in my career where I did actually know something that was useful. And there was a bit of a, uh, well, there wasn't really much information out there for people who were doing what I was doing. And there still isn't, to be honest. Um, For people who are digital project managers working in this wild west of uh, an environment where timelines are really too tight, budgets are too small, um, clients are very demanding. In that advertising marketing world, how do you deliver projects successfully in that environment? And I'd felt like I'd had the fortune of working at some pretty good places in agencies in London. And I thought, hey, I want to share some of this. So partly it was sharing and giving back. Partly it was, um, let's see if I can write an ebook and actually sell something. Uh, that was kind of the impetus for at the beginning. The site also had what I guess we'd call memes right now where you yeah. would just have, right? It would be posts with nothing but a headline and a GIF. So here's <laughs> one, when you finish your invoicing a day early and then there's a bunch of people dancing um, in the GIF, it's that type of thing. It was just kind of a fun blog in a day when blogs were really hot and people were looking for any kind of uh, user-created content, I would call it, right? Right. That's what yeah. you were doing. I noticed when I looked at the bottom of the site in Internet Archive that it still said powered by Black and White Zebra. What was Black and White Zebra before it became a collection of sites like the one we're going to be talking about today? Uh, so the idea back in those days, so this was when I first moved from the UK to Vancouver. I had a company called Black and White Zebra then, uh, and I was just a 
digital consultant. Um, and I didn't do many projects as a digital consultant, uh, but I, my idea was, hey, I know how to make stuff happen in the digital world. Um, I could just be a consultant. Mm. And then I got lured back into agency life uh, for another seven years. And um, yeah, the, the prospect of a regular salary and um, yeah, just settling down a bit kind of appealed to me while I had a few kids. Got it. All right. And so meanwhile, 2012, you launch a site, you're continuing over the years to add to it, but it's not at all a business as we know it today, right? 20, 2015, suddenly you look that there's a, a real audience there and they're reaching out to you. And I guess it's not until even a little bit after that, that you said, maybe there's revenue here. Am I right? Yes, it was around 2015 that the company started contacting me and saying, hey, can we be featured on your site? We'll pay you. And I thought, oh, that never even occurred to me. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a happy accident, really. Um, people started reaching out to me and I thought, okay, let's, let's do this then. Uh, but at that point, I had no idea really what to charge people. So I really undercharged them for a really long time. I didn't know, I didn't know the value of what I was delivering to them. And uh, so back in 2015, yeah, I, I started accepting payment for featuring different products and tools. What did you get paid for? Who's the first company and what did you I think, get I think paid? The, fir the first company was um, Deltech, I think, which is a, a project management software company. They reached out to me actually to go to South by Southwest to, I think, blog about their product launch or something like that. They yep. paid me $500, I think. But you didn't um, end up going to South by Southwest that year? I didn't go. No, yep. I can't remember. There was, I think I had a work trip or something that I had to do. My day job got in the way. Okay. But you uh, still but the first said, time. pay me, I'll write. I don't have to be there. They paid you a few hundred bucks, 500 roughly. Uh, actually, actually, it did end up being exactly 500 from what I understand. And you published. Yeah. Did you feel a little bit creepy doing it? Now maybe I'm selling my content. Will I lose the audience's respect? Um, I don't think so. I think I think I was quite clear about it. It was quite uh, factual. It was. I was just excited that someone was willing to pay me some money to do something. Okay. Uh, so that that felt pretty exciting. Meanwhile, if we fast forward a few years, 2018, I, I don't know if you feel comfortable saying your revenue, but I've got your revenue here on my screen. Can I say it? Sure, go for it. So 2012, you launched. 2015 is when the audience builds up. 2018, I think it is, is when you start to make some money. By the end of that year, did you do $700,000 in sales? Yep. How? Did. So by that time, we'd... So primarily this is from advertising and we'd realized that people were willing to pay us to be featured on our website. And um, by that time, it, it just began to snowball. As we began to rank higher in search, we became more of a commodity that people were interested in because they wanted to be associated with search results at, at the top of search. So it was, it was through broadening our client base um, uh, of tool partners who we worked with, but it was also a major factor in this was increasing how much we charged. And that has been really, to be honest, the story of 
um, the story of our business, which has been at the beginning, we really didn't understand the value. And I think we've still, uh, th- there's a bit of a dance you do with people who start paying you not very much money to be featured. And then you have to go back to them and say, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to triple how much I'm going to charge you for this. And how do they react? Well, they're really upset because you've just become more expensive. Um, and to be honest, that trajectory has continued. That what, why I'm forecasting 10 million this year is because that same story of well, increasing back to the sponsors, changed. increased prices, they will be upset. But what do you keep most of them despite the increase? Yeah, I think we lose very few. And the reason why we lose very few is because we're delivering results. And when they look at the quality of the traffic that we send them, it's traffic that converts at a, a really good rate. Because what are you offering? You're not doing banner ads. What are you doing? What type we're, of ad? You're writing full posts on them, and right? We do. There's a whole bunch of different things we're doing. Some of them, what we call our spotlight posts, yeah, where we feature uh, a specific tool. Other ones are lists of tools where we're featuring, hey, these are the best tools. So we'll define the criteria for what makes. Mm-hmm. a best kind of tool in that category. And then people Here's will one, pay 10 us. Microsoft project alternatives for creating Gantt charts. This is from 2018. Yeah. Right. So that, that would be a sponsored list of, of entries. Am I right? Yeah. So Got it. And that would, yeah, include a mix of sponsored and not sponsored, but a lot of those would be sponsored. Okay. All right. I get the, I get where you were. Good model. Um, by the way, one of the things that sets you apart from other people who have this model is your freaking design. The homepage just looks so good. So it doesn't feel like an info marketing site, right? Yeah. You're proud of that. I could see it in your face. So I think a lot of times yeah. I've talked to you, it's like, I don't know if I should tell Andrew this. I don't know if this story is coming across well. But when I talk to you about your design, this is something wholeheartedly you're proud of and you deserve to be. Yeah, 100%. Design, I think in a... If you look at our competitors, their design is terrible. And I think that's kind of the story of um, many of the project management sites out there, for example, uh, have really poor design. Um, actually, we're investing right now in a new project to replatform again to make our design even better, to make our user experience even, even stronger and more persuasive. So the quality of design and quality of content are two things that we we think are super important both for like being proud of what we create uh, so that the user experience is good, but ultimately because, hey, if we make our content easy to consume and easy to read, our viewers are going to like that, but also Google will like that too. I would also say this, that it seems like a lot of your customers, and we're going to get into how your audience became your customers. It seems like a lot of them are going back to a boss, to someone who's in charge of an expense report and saying, this is what I want to sign up for. This is what I did sign up for. And they don't want to look embarrassed. They don't want to look like they got taken into some like get rich, quick, scammy looking site. Right. Yeah. It should yeah. Be and like I think a professional business tool that, a, that an employer would pay for. Definitely. I mean, we're selling courses for a thousand dollars or thereabouts. And so when you're charging that amount of money, you can't like the quality has got to look professional. And I think that, yeah, it, it helps people believe that we've got a product that's worth paying $1,000 for. Okay. We talked about advertising. The next thing that came on board from what I understand is the courses, right? Yeah. Not the membership. What's the first course that you charge for? Um, it's a course called uh, Mastering Digital Project Management, and it's a seven-week course 
for people who deliver projects in a digital world, whether or not that's for an agency in the world of marketing, or maybe we've had lots of nonprofits take the course, as well as uh, big blue chips like Siemens and Sony and Microsoft. So people who are delivering any kind of digital project, we help take them through in a seven-week course how to initiate projects well, how to kick them off well, and then managing and controlling projects, how to do that effectively so that we can deliver value. Basically, Ben, that's their job though. So you're telling them we're going to show you how it is. It's not like you're saying, here's how to get more clients, how to get a better job. It's here's how to do the job that you're paid for well. Yeah. Why? What am I missing there? I would have thought that most people would think what's one piece of the business that we need to teach them. They're not going to want to know the business if they already are in it. How did you, how did you realize that's the thing to do? Um, I think a lot of people have a challenge that they become the digital project manager in the agency or the organization that they're in. Oh, they don't get it, trained for it from the start. This isn't, it's just a thing that let's really tell, tell me what, people, what were they doing yeah, before? Bef- people get parachuted into the role. Um, maybe they were, maybe they were a developer who decided, Hey, I want to start managing projects. Maybe they were a designer or a user experience architect. Um, so there's some people who sure you can go into a course on a degree in project management, but most people fall into it. They've been in the industry for a while and they suddenly get saddled with being responsible for creating a budget, a timeline, a statement of work, and they kind of know what they're doing, but they don't know how to do it properly. Or if they do know how to do it, they're not sure if they're missing something. How did you know that this was where they were and this is what they needed? I think so. I mean, by this point, we launched the course, I think, in 2018. So we'd been running the site now for a few years and beginning to get people contacting me, asking if there's any training that we offer. So it really came through that insight from people reaching out to us that I realized there was an opportunity here to create something that would help people do their jobs better. Okay. And then how'd you know what to go, what to put into it? Was it you saying, here's my experience? I know it. Yeah, that that was 100% the most difficult part. And I think it, it still is. The the product market fit for the course is challenging, uh, particularly because we wanted to make it short. And originally it started out as a 10-week course that we condensed into a seven-week course. Um, so people want the results, but don't want to put in the time to learn. So yeah, figuring out what to put in it was difficult. So I just decided, hey, Here's just at a basic level, here's how you get from the beginning of the project to the end of a project. And we're going to hold your hand through that process. Did you do it live at first? I know that I found that by doing it live week after week, I get to see where people are lost and I know what to build it. And it's hard to create by looking at a screen. But if you do it live, you have a bunch of people who's who are interacting with you. That maybe would have been a good idea. You did instead. Uh-huh. What did you do? <laughs> instead, I scripted out the entire thing. Um, and it took me, it took me nearly a year to produce this script. So, um, it, it's about 80,000 words, uh, to, to develop this script, uh, which is me basically talking for seven hours. And, uh, so I created the entire script and the reason I did it that way was I really struggled as I was creating the course to figure out 
at what point you talk about what thing well, with, with many, like when you're trying to teach anything, there are so many interconnected parts de- deciding where you talk about those points of intersection. And is this, you know, where does this fit in? Um, I found super challenging. So Especially I wanted if you're to doing create it by thing. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to create the whole thing. So I, so I kept on moving parts around and I felt like, yeah, if I did it, if I did it live, um, yeah, you know, in hindsight, maybe that would have been a better way to do it, but I decided to create the whole thing. Okay. Um, yeah, I would suggest that for anyone who's listening, try to do it with even one person who you're teaching. Ideally it should be three or more so that you have people show up every week and then record that and make that into the thing that you create or whatever's worked for you there. It helps inform what you create on your own. Did you do uh you did slides, right? Or screenshots? Um, we did, we did animated slides. So, um, yeah, it's, it's me talking to camera superimposed against, uh, these animated slides behind me explaining different things. Um, okay. so there's, there's the, there's a, there's the kind of presentation part of the course. The second bit that we did do live uh, to start with was uh, a panel discussion. So the idea was that we talk about the theory and then we talk about in the panel uh, discussion, how we apply that theory, like how, how, why the theory doesn't work. We begin to tear apart these concepts and ideas so that people get a more rounded perspective. You and other digital project managers. Got exactly. it. All right. I'm with you. Yeah. I see it. You went back to your audience. Did you have an email list at the time? Yep, we did. I can't remember how big it was, but yeah, we sent it out, launched the course. Uh, actually, the, we made a mistake though. We launched the yeah. course thinking it was about eight weeks away and I thought that's enough time for me to create a course. Uh, I was still working a full-time job at the time and I'd my daughter had just been born. I was taking some time off for paternity leave and I'm like, okay, eight weeks, I can for sure spit out a course in that amount of time. So I sold the course, got a load of people to sign up, was feeling really pleased. But then about a month away from the launch, I realized there was no way that I was going to get this finished. Partly because I decided to create this entire script. So I canceled it. And it wasn't until a year later that I actually launched the course for real. Dude, I get it. I understand it in retrospect. And with our understanding, it's so painful. You just want to smack yourself going back. Right. But I get it. It's completely, um, completely relatable. And I think that a lot of people who teach course creators and content creators how to teach and sell, they they downplay it or they insult the person who does it. And in reality, it's a, it's a position I could totally empathize with and people who are successful like you have gone through it. All right. How well did it do? How much did you do in sales when you finally launched? I think we've typically had about 50 people sign up to each course, uh, each each class we've run. So then we we increased the number of classes we ran. At the beginning, it was about three times a year. Now it's about five times a year that we run the course. Um, so it's it's about that kind of- Yeah, why, why three or five? Why isn't it an ongoing evergreen program? Because there are live components to it. So what we wanted to create a course that wasn't just watching a video. Um, but that had some interactive component to it. What so are the interactive what, components? So what we do is uh, there are assignments and these assignments make it uh, slightly more tricky. So each week there is an assignment based on that week's course content. 
And we're using a system called PeerGrade, which allows students to submit their um, assignment and then get graded by somebody else. Um, and I think that peer review and evaluation is super powerful. Um, we create a rubric to say, hey, this is what makes an estimate good or an estimate bad. Here we create checklists of things to help people assess and mark each other's work well. But I think this process of assessment is actually super powerful because they're not only learning how to do it, but they're learning how to assess whether or not something is good. So in order to facilitate that peer grading, as well as the live office hours that we have every week, um, we run it at certain slots uh, throughout the year. Okay. Um, I'm following how this uh, goes. I see it. Let me ask some geeky questions. The first version of the site I saw was put on WordPress. I think you're yep. still on WordPress to this day, right? Yeah. Yeah. The course software was done on what? Um, it was done on uh, something called Hazoo. Um, which is I've never heard of it. Okay. Yeah, Hazoo is a cool tool uh, which enables you to embed a YouTube video or Vimeo in their platform and put markers in place along the timeline. YouTube and Vimeo have begun to do this, but Hazoo does it really nicely. And we wanted people to be able to jump through the content to find the content within this video that's relevant to them. Um, and it, Hazoo also enables you to embed other content within it. So as you're watching the video, images come up, text comes up. Like it's it's quite a rich experience. Under the video or within the video player? Under the video player. Under the video. Yeah. And so was this a full learning management system? No, it is not really a learning management system at all. It's more like an interactive video player. Got it. Um, so you can embed onto your WordPress site and you used WordPress with the mem- we, no. We didn't actually embed it into WordPress. It was a separate separate platform. They needed a separate login. That you created yourself. Yes, we didn't create Hazoo, but we created the logins. Yeah. The what's the platform that you put your course on? Uh the course isn't on a platform. So we have Slack, we had Hazoo. We're now using a platform called Eduflow, uh, which is the peer grade is also made by the same people as uh, Eduflow. But we have, so we have the components are Zoom for the weekly office hours, Slack for the conversations in between, peer grade for people submitting assignments, and now Eduflow for the people who to consume the content. So it's the onboarding process is confusing, but what we wanted was the best in breed, what we thought to deliver a really rich, engaging learning experience. So it's slightly more complicated, but yeah, the course is not on a website. I see. Yeah. I um, I think that since then, new platforms have come up like Teachable. There's uh, There are different tools that you can add to WordPress to do it, right? Uh, what is, didn't I do an interview with the founder of Lifter LMS? They work on, on WordPress, but you don't do that. You create your own username and passwords. That part is your own software. Um, we set everybody up with accounts on these different platforms. Uh, oh, wow. This is chaotic for, for a project management company, don't you think? <laughs> it is, but once you're, once you're in, it's okay. I think what we wanted is was a, a really engaging learning experience. We wanted an experience where you were able to easily connect that you had uh, the best place to consume the yep. content. You know what? Um, I totally understand that, that I, I love Teachable. I love some of these other platforms, um, but I understand how you might want to give people maybe a better chat experience than the one that comes in these platforms. I feel like that's a solution 
waiting for somebody to grab hold of to a problem that's very common. What I mean by that is, you know, if you hire somebody new on your company, you have to create accounts for them on these different platforms. Rippling will allow you as a as an employer to automatically create accounts for them on the platforms you use like Slack, like uh, G Suite, and so on. That's brilliant. I feel like there's something like that that's necessary for communities almost, so that when someone signs up for the community, you automatically create a Slack for them. If you maybe create a folder in Google Docs for them, and or, or Dropbox, yeah. and so on. Uh, I, that's something in that. I've also thought about what what do you think about that? Let's riff for a bit. Well, so there are some platforms that are trying to do that. So a few examples, uh Kajabi is a is a good example of that. And they where, will do it on other people's platforms. Like you could create a Slack. No, you can't no, create okay, a Slack so, account. So They're just I'm talking I'm talking mm-hmm. about an LMS meets a community um courses, downloads, templates, um resources in a kind of hub. Uh, Kajabi, I'd say, is one of the most popular platforms for membership sites. Um, And Podia would be another one. Phenomenal. Yes. And so what we found there was that, yes, these sites are good, but we didn't want to be forced into someone's ecosystem and then stuck in it. So we'd prefer to bind things together if with manual work, if need be, uh, and then have this control over email automations about how we present, right. how we how we do these different things rather than being tied to a really poor forum no, experience. No, I, I get that. I just feel like I, I wish that there was an easier way for you to automatically create right. accounts on these platforms for people yeah. when they when they buy. So it should yeah. be sign up page automatically triggers once people pay automatically creates an account for them on all these different accounts automatically sets them up with just like you could for uh employ for employers who are doing it for their for their team okay i get where you are i don't want to drive too far with this let's continue then the next part of your business was to say we're going to add a com- we're going to add a membership what do, what was yeah. going to be in the membership so the membership started off with a bunch of resources we knew that people were super excited to download any kind of template that we produced. Um, and we were just giving them away for free. Um, the challenge with that is that it costs us money to produce these things. What's so a we resource? Wanted- I, I saw over the years that you guys did like spreadsheets. Here's why exactly project managers yeah. love spreadsheets. Here's why they hate it. Here's some tools to help you create a better spreadsheet to manage your work. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. So it's like, here's a template that you can use for a cost estimate or a statement of work or a timeline. Here's And what we've done is now in membership, we've combined templates and downloads for nearly everything you'd want to do as a digital project manager with samples as well. Okay. So you can not just download the template and you could you could find those on the internet anywhere, um, but a sample of how to fill it in correctly. So these What's a things- template that you came up with in the beginning that you thought this is member worthy, people should pay? I think, uh, as an example, like the ecosystem, the template ecosystem around a website redesign project. So a there's an estimate, there's a timeline, there's a statement of work, and all these uh, things relate to one another. So it's a package that if you were going to do a website redesign project right. within an agency, you've got what you need. Who did you hire to create that? Uh, me. So you sat down and you said, here's what goes into it. Did you talk to any of your members to say, how do you do it? Can I see your checklist? 
I mean, I've been working in agencies for 15 years. So I had lots of templates from different places that I'd worked. Uh, and so I was recycling and mixing up these different assets and resources that I had from different places. Okay. A lot of people who are in this space will say, that's hard to charge monthly for because someone will pay a monthly fee, download all of it and run away. I've actually found in practice that's not true. And if they do, they become more loyal fans. Don't don't be so aggressive uh, in fighting it. What have you found with that? Um, I would say I have found that some people would come in, sign up as members, download all the stuff, yeah, and then unsubscribe. Um, so what we did um, is really change the nature of the membership. We realized actually we didn't want to become a resource-based membership. Um, we wanted the resources to be a nice add-on rather than the point and the purpose of the community. And I think where our membership over the last couple of years has transitioned to is more around the community side of the membership rather than being resource-based. So actually what's most helpful for people delivering projects and the community is being able to talk to other people who are also delivering projects to find out in real time what's working for them, what's not. So we have pivoted our membership from being resource-based to being more community-focused. What do you use for your community management software? Right now we're using Circle. So we were on Slack, um, which was great at the beginning, but then it got to 4,000 members. And the Nate, Slack is a great conversation and communication tool. It's not so good to retain wisdom and uh, groupthink. Right, right. So I've noticed that a lot of people move to Discord, which is more yeah. of the public version of Slack. Slack is for internal communication companies. Discord is for bigger. Why don't you guys go to Discord? We we did look at it, but I think we wanted something that we could tailor and customize. And I chatted to the guys at Circle, and I liked the what they're talking about in terms of what they were trying to do and create. And I think it just aligned better with what our membership wanted. So uh, we're trying to create a resource base rather than just a chat um, and a communication. So Circle allows us to do more of that, creating repositories what of helpful information. How do you do that? with? So for people who don't know, Circle is like, it's a beautiful, elegant, low, I feel like it's low feature too, yeah. community software, right? It's it's meant to just be as simple as as necessary. And then I'm imagining they're going to build beyond. I think there are a couple of problems having talked to people who are building communities with Circle. Number one, most people don't go to Circle. They don't even go to your site. They're in Facebook. They, they're in Slack, right? And so you're hitting them where they ordinarily go. More and more, they're in Discord. It's hard to say, come back to mycommunity.mysite.com, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's yeah, a big it feels, one. It feels... Yeah, it feels like something out the early 2000s uh, in some ways yep. where you're saying, yeah, I have a forum, come over here. It's really useful. And 100%, we had a lot of, actually, one of the challenges we had was early on was running Slack in parallel with the Circle community. And people would say to us, I don't want to go there. It's um, I'm on Slack. Just keep the Slack going. Right. Um, so why did we do it? Well, because we believed and we still do, that the circle experience is far superior. Uh, and I think there's also a different mindset. Um, when you go to the forum, you're more intentional about it. Um, it it's, 
it's about giving as much as it is about getting. Um, and I think I think we've seen the quality of the conversation and the type of discourse that we have on Circle being quite different to um, Slack, which was much more transactional. I need this. Can someone help me with this? Uh, whereas on Circle, we find the nature of the conversation being slightly different. And this is something that's taken us about six months to cultivate and nurture. It's taken a lot of uh, example setting, but we found it um, it's beginning to it's beginning to bear fruit, and we're getting a much better engagement now and quality of conversation than we did in Slack. What's what's one feature that you especially like about it? I think I wouldn't necessarily talk about the features. I I just. I like the simplicity of it. Like you said, um, like we mentioned before, hey, there's Kajabi, there's Podia, there's these all-in-one platforms that um, try and do everything. I love the fact that Circle really is just a forum that we can integrate really simply with our site and membership. It is, it's, I'm going to say this. It is just a forum in the old classic sense of the word. What is nice about it is that it doesn't have a lot of the flair of a forum. I think that's one of the challenges of it, right? Like in some forums, if you think about forum software for WordPress, you could give people points based on what they've done. You could let people give each other points and all those gimmicks are helpful, but they also become a big distraction to user experience, right? Um, I would say the one thing, I think the one thing that Circle should focus on is not all these expandabilities. So I'm sure they're going to add the extens- the extensions and they make it more extendable. I think the one thing they should focus on is how do you bring people back in? And it might need to be, let's plug into text messaging, let's plug into Slack messaging or something other than just email that brings somebody in immediately, right? Yeah. And I think okay. I, I think the, the discourse that happens on the forum is for sure slower. It's not a real-time communication tool. Right. But that allows us in the newsletter that we send out every week to say, hey, if you've not caught these conversations yet, go and check them out. And, and I they think- are a, a real topic of conversation. Someone could see, here's a problem that I'm having. Everyone else responds to it. And then for the rest of the community that comes even a year later, they see the problem that they've experienced and the discussion of, of how other people have, have handled it. Okay. All right. I should, I should tell you, it's like 51 minutes into my conversation with you, including the time before we started. I haven't done an ad and I intentionally waited till now because my first sponsor is HostGator. And HostGator allows us to do everything that you and I have talked about. We're now at a point where I could ask you, if somebody's listening to this process right now as you're doing it and says, you know what? I could start off with a WordPress site. I could add a community using Circle. Circle makes it really easy to have like a subdomain, community.mysite.com, right? That looks just like the WordPress site. All these resources that we talked about could connect together with a WordPress site hosted on HostGator, frankly, anyone else. But since HostGator is my sponsor and they do a great job for less less money than most people, Let's talk about them. What's one approach that you would have to finding a way to copy your model on a HostGator hosted site? Well, I think as with with many of these hosting companies now, it's very easy with a one-click WordPress install to get started and get going. And I think for most people, one of the things that's a massive blocker is getting started and creating content at the heart of what we do really is we create content and we we've been able to monetize that content so being able to quickly forget every all the bells and whistles and just focus on creating content is something that you can easily do on a yeah self-hosted it is but what's, how do you find a topic can i give can i talk about the topics that you told yeah. me that you're pursuing with your model yeah 
Yeah. Okay. So you found that it works for project managers, digital project managers. You said, all right, let's do this for HR, human resources. You're doing that, right? What's the site called for human resources? Uh, peoplemanagingpeople.com. Okay. Can I talk about one of the upcoming ones? Yeah. All right. Uh, you said maybe even farmers could use a site yeah. like this, right? How do you come up with farmers as a possibility? And it, it makes a ton of sense. There's nobody out there creating like a best practices for farmers, a community where they get to talk to each other. I don't even know if they need it, but it's clever that you would do it. How are you thinking about where is the next community for you? Yeah, so I think there's an interesting intersection between things that are digitally orientated in some way. So, and the reason that's interesting is where there's where there's technology involved, uh, there's the potential for there to be SaaS tools which might want to sponsor um, and SaaS tools attract higher CPCs because the lifetime value is high of a customer. So if you can have any technology-related subject, uh, there's the potential for advertisers that are willing to pay lots of money. So that's one aspect. Okay, where are okay. Their, where's their technology and tools? Okay. Another interesting part of my selection process is looking at things that people typically think are boring, and okay. like one of the things that we want to do is make boring and seemingly uninteresting things fun. And I think we do that through the content that we create, through the design that we apply to it. But the good thing about things that are typically regarded as boring is it means there's lower competition there. Okay. And so something where there's a lot of technology, especially software as a service, fighting to get those audience, something that's boring. Give me another criteria. Something and this is where the personal networking connection comes into it some somewhere where i know somebody who can help us do this who we can partner with okay. um and uh and we can partner with them to start creating content and and the community ah okay so you need someone who's like an expert so if you're going to are you thinking really farming or did you just toss that out as an example no i we are we have a site <laughs> that we are launching called farm innovate and it's about yeah innovation in farming got and it and so you say my brother. with your brother got it so you say yeah. look i'm not a farmer my brother is he's in the space is your brother a farmer uh, he advises, yeah, he works for an NGO advising firm. It's, yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. I, you know what else I like? I like aiming towards business people, ideally professionals working in organizations, right? Because I see your eyes are, are doing something and you tell me, yes, that's the one because they have yeah. money. It's not their money. And if you could help them a little bit, that cost that you charge is more than paid for with the increased productivity, increased uh, results that they have. All right, really good. Okay, so let's say they, they they copy this. The first thing they should launch is a content also like you did. Is it a blog today in 2021? You're, you're nodding yes? Aren't people I think all so. over freaking I think, blogs? Well, I don't think so. People are searching into Google every day. Um, they want answers. And the more that we can help people find answers to their problems, um, the better. I think video is great. I think podcasts are great. We do all those things. Social media is great. But where we see the biggest volume in terms of traffic, which we can then monetize, um, is from organic search. So I think creating content, which you can then recycle as a video or as a podcast. I think for me, that's the kind of basic um, foundations. I'm with you. Okay. So content, think search engine optimization. And then once you have content, look for the first course. Should we follow that model the way that you did? Advertising actually first, right? Since we said that there's a lot of software coming towards the space, advertising. 
software uh, um, course should that be next? Well, I think I'm I'm more steering towards membership now. So okay. membership is interesting to me because I think going back to what we're talking about, we're helping people succeed. We're helping people do their jobs better. We're helping people do something better. If you can solve people's problems, if you can help make their life easier, they'll be willing to pay for that. And particularly in a professional kind of environment, they can probably get their work to pay for it as well. So I think a membership, even if you're beginning to only help 15, 20 people, those are people who could become your founding members. All right, listen to me, people. Whether it's this specific model, which I think makes a ton of sense, and uh, Ben and I, before we got started, talked about how he thought this made sense, uh, and he's surprised by how few people are doing it, or any other business that you need a website for, if you go to HostGator, you're going to get a company with a proven track record. They've been around for years, and inexpensive price for getting started, and will scale with you. Yes, they have absolute low prices on dependable service, but what I found is my business has scaled, their services will scale uh, scaled with me. This will work for you. All you have to do is go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy, and when you throw that slash Mixergy at the end, when you use my full URL, you're going to get the lowest possible price that they have for a great service that I use on Mixergy. Hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right. Um, as we come to an end with this thing, I want to know then, is the, is the future for you to just take this model and bring it to different areas? Is that where Black and White Zebra is going as a business? Uh, yeah, we, we've got a vision to see 10 thriving communities um, similar to the ones that we've created for the digital project manager. So if in 10 years we've managed to create 10 communities, um, I'll be happy. And, but I think we really see ourselves as a bigger than that. We're trying to help people succeed. So we've been focused for the past few years on the online world, but I want to see that in the offline world as well, particularly in a post COVID environment. Um, I'm interested in building, helping, supporting local business as well and recycling some of this. Uh, capital into uh, more local projects too. into buying local businesses, starting local businesses. Yeah, any, any any of the any of the above. What I what I'd love to do is uh, create a community center where there's maybe a coffee shop and an art gallery that doesn't need to make a profit. Um, that kind of thing would that kind of thing excites me. So people can come and hang out. Yep. And people can work. And I think we're going to see a lot of vacant office space or lots of vacant, lots of vacancy. So I'm just interested in, yeah, not just being completely online as I have been, but um, getting into the real world as well. I'm going to suggest that one of the things that I think is going to happen is just, I think that creator spaces are a necessity and coffee shops are not creator spaces, even though that's where people will go when they don't want to work at home. A creator space is something like the museum that's in your neighborhood that nobody goes to except for kids during the day where you might feel a little inspired if you sit in there in their nook in a coffee shop and something perks you up, but that's not enough. Creativity, I find I find need an, needs an external stimulant sometimes. And it's not a coffee shop where someone's sitting next to you. It's not a WeWork necessarily. No, it's not a WeWork. Those are components of it. You might go to coffee shops. You might go to a WeWork. But I think if there's a place where we can just go and say, this is where I am creative, where they organize everything for me to be inspired, I think that's a nice, uh, that's that's one of the nice things coming out of this uh, this pause that we're all in. Yeah. And I think people are going to have a much more flexibility around right. 
where they work and when they work. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that as well as investing in and, um, investing in other businesses as well. So, uh, we, yeah, I hope as a media company, which is what we are now, we will become not just a media company, but also a, a an investment company that invests in other businesses as well. In other media co- companies like yours. Yeah. You know what? One thing that I would think of is we're talking about um, coffee shops or not. Yeah. Coffee shops and in person, I was thinking maybe somebody just takes Ben Aston's model and goes and applies it to coffee shop owners, right? Coffee shop owners want to see what's working for each other. They want to see how they could grow. That's interesting. I think what's more interesting is to steal your model and apply it towards brand new spaces, right? MakerPad is essentially done. I think your model for the no code software movement where they said, we are going to teach people how to do this. And then of course, once you bring people in who are into no code, you can layer other things on top of them. I just found out they were bought by Zapier. Um, I think that anytime there's new something, that's an area to copy Ben's model. NFTs become big. If you believe in their long-term longevity, be the resource of content, build a community on top. Advertising is a nice addition that goes with it. And then there might be some courses that are standalone. Ideally, if you find those, they're growing, you grow with them and there's nobody established in the space. And if you find one that works with businesses or, or specific job titles at businesses, so much the better for getting revenue. What do you think of that, Ben? Have I taken away the key lessons? I think so. I think where we've also been successful is because we've we found places where there aren't many other people creating really good quality content. So I think that's the kind of the missing piece of the puzzle for me would be, okay, well, you don't want to have to compete too much, too hard. Um, ideally you become the, the authority, the voice of coffee shop owners, um, or yeah, NFTs. Um, but I think something like NFTs is obviously a lot more, a lot lot more competition around. So I think choosing something that's slightly off the beaten track or that's long tail. So you choose rather than just um, NFTs, we say, okay, NFTs for communities or NFTs for galleries. Ah, so more niche and less sexy. Everyone has seen the art that was sold for $4 million, even though it's digital and everyone else can copy it. There's one person who gets to say, I actually own it. Everyone's getting excited about it. Look for more boring, more farm, less NFTs. All right. Where's a good place for people who like you, who want to follow up uh, to go and connect with you? Yeah. So if you're interested in the world of content and community, which is what we've been talking about really today, uh, head to IndieMedia.club where we chart our progress and uh, we have a podcast there as well. Uh, If you want to find out more about me, go to BenAston.com. I didn't even realize you had IndieMedia.club. All right, Ben, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It's been great right. here. And I'll, uh, sorry, I just stepped over your, your closing because I want to make sure that I get my sponsor's message in there. Sponsorship is something, right? It, when somebody pays me, I want to make sure that they get the results. And all right, I'm going to close it out by saying thank you. Thank you, HostGator, for sponsoring this interview. If you're out there and you want to sign up, HostGator.com slash Mixergy. And if you like the way that I do these interviews, interruptions and all, and you want to see how you can use my techniques for having better conversations one-on-one, I created something quick, something as a first version to get some uh, to get some of my ideas out to you, some of my techniques out to you. All you have to do is go to this page, Unbounce Created. It's Unbounce.com slash Mixergy unbounce.com slash mixergy and i'm grateful to them for sponsoring and to you ben for hanging out here with me thanks so much man cheers all right cheers
Bye. Bye, everyone.